What's up? Welcome to another episode of the smartest Amazon seller in the room. I'm really excited about this podcast I got today. Um, but just a little background about myself. If uh, you don't know, my name is Scott Needham. Um, I have sold over $350 million of uh, products on Amazon. That's represented millions in profits, also millions in losses. I have written probably half a million lines of code uh, with interacting with the APIs or uh, automating inventory, anything uh, for the entire life cycle of, uh, of a product and which has made me very uh, close to every you know, type of transaction that can happen. Um, and I uh, have uh, a few businesses uh, with regarding Amazon, and some of them are uh, very steady, and some things are trying to shake things up a little bit. Uh, where we, uh, are, uh, you know, maybe we're not making money on it yet, but we think it's a, it's an idea that can take off. Well, um, you know, I was reminded of a quote from a uh, Jordan Belfort in The Wolf of Wall Street where he said, I don't ask my clients to judge me by my winners, but to judge me by my losers because I have so few. That may work for him, but I want you guys to judge me off of my losers. Let's learn from them. And, um, and I, I would change that quote to be, judge, my, judge me off by my losers because there are so many. And that's not a bad approach to business. Like I, 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 could, I could probably right now like tell you five mistakes that I have made that are over $10,000 mistakes, uh, whether it's pricing or uh, actually a lot of them end up being pricing because those are the easiest ones to quantify or uh, just some decisions that we made in terms of our buying, uh, you know, initiatives that we kind of had to scrap, like it, it, it happens on the regular. Um and I mean, I was just looking at some on advertising where we probably threw away, you know, $500 just by not doing a few simple tricks, like just checking up on it, you know, once a week, if that's too much to ask for. Well, um, <clears throat> sorry, uh, today's, I got two subjects I'm going to hit. Um, the first one is regarding, uh, the question if Amazon is a fair marketplace and the second is more of a uh, uh, about you know we're in August and we're going to be hitting Q4 just a few things that you should be thinking about going into making those big decisions um, so um, you know I get to see the life experiences of a lot of people off and on Amazon and at the end of the day, there's no perfect way to create a business or to sell on Amazon. You know, being smart helps. It isn't everything. Working hard helps. It isn't everything. Sometimes you're going to get lucky. And sometimes you got to take what unfair advantages that you have. I think it's a really interesting concept to like recognize in yourself what unfair advantages. If you are listening to this and already have been selling on Amazon, you probably have some unfair advantages. Like there's something that's gotten you where you're at now that someone else does not have. Whether it's like something as uh, basic as like you're engaged into certain categories that other people are having a hard time getting into, or um, 
I, I, I like to start from the basics. You know, I think it's an unfair advantage of where you're born. You know, I was born in uh, arguably the best zip code of the world, the U.S. of A. Um, granted, you know, there's definitely a lot of, uh, there's other marketplaces. And if you're born in that marketplace, like you have an advantage. If you're in the U.K. and... Uh, you want to sell in the UK marketplace, you have an advantage right there. There are people that are trying to sell in that marketplace that don't live there. So, um, but like, even if you don't have that one, there, there are other ways uh, which have uh, brought you to where you are. You know, I had uh, some family members that started businesses and that kind of gave me an entrepreneur entrepreneurial mindset. I ultimately joined my brother's business. I, well, I, this was not my original idea, but as I studied software and went out into the world, I came back and, uh, I saw what he was doing and I knew I wanted a part of it. I knew that I could, uh, use automation to increase, uh, just, you know, uh, the amount of effort per, per dollar, uh, you got to think of it, you know, it's like how many touches of inventory does, do you have? How many times do you look and analyze and think and lift up and pick up, um, inventory? I, when people talk about, I didn't expect to talk about this, but when people think about, um, Amazon's fulfillment centers, uh, compared to like what Walmart does or, um, any other of the three PLs out there, I bet you uh, that Amazon has fewer touches of inventory when a product is sold. They use automation wherever they can. Um, now they even have these uh, Kiva robots that are sliding around with a product to, to get rid of, uh, you know, having to pick the inventory manually. Well, um, so when Amazon rolls out, you know, moving two-day shipping to one-day shipping, they can do it. They know exactly how much it's going to cost them because of, I think they've built one of the, the, the best logistics network in the world. And uh, they're using it as an unfair advantage and they are only going to uh, be getting better. So uh, Walmart, I don't think that they will be attractive to third-party sellers until that they have a fulfillment network that is approaching what Amazon has. And I just don't see enough effort from them uh, for sellers to, to get in that same space. So if Amazon you know, could ship anywhere in the nation, nearly anywhere in the nation for uh, one-day shipping, it probably cost them, I don't know, probably close to the FBA fee, you know, anywhere from two fifty to $7.50, maybe even a little bit more. Well, I bet you Walmart, it costs them at least 2 or $3 more in labor and uh, shipping costs because they don't uh, have the same, uh, you know, logistics or, uh, you know, robotics or artificial intelligence, whatever I, you, you need. And, um, and so they've created a, an unfair advantage and uh, so, so take stock of what you have. Maybe I'll continue to talk about this in the future because I think it's important uh, just for perspective. So, but here's a question that it does make me think is, is Amazon a fair marketplace? I knew in the first year that I was doing this, I could have answered this. I know Amazon is not a fair marketplace. The buy box isn't fair. 
And uh, if you are doing FBA versus merchant fulfillment, you know that. And even the, if you have like perfect metrics as a merchant, uh, it, it's it's not the same. Um, and then on top of that, uh, Amazon as a seller, if you ever compete against them or if they ever join one of your listings, I have seen you know some private label. Amazon will just show up out of nowhere. So this does affect everyone that uh, for this for the same fulfillment experience, Amazon will get more sales. They get a higher share of the buy box rotation. Sometimes they get a hundred percent share of the buy box rotation. And um, that right there tells you to me very simply, like I just knew from the beginning, like it wasn't a fair marketplace. I kind of uh, made peace with it really early on because like I am on their market, you know, this is their website. So I, uh, I understand why they built it the way that they did. I did not complain. Um, but some recent developments just across the, the world have made me think that, uh, that there's a chance for this to, to change. So as Amazon gets larger and starts to resemble, you know, as like the quote unquote, like uh, marketplace of the world, they uh, probably have to start playing fair or they will come across antitrust uh, situations. And right now in the EU, there's a commission that is looking into uh, two of their anti-competitive practices. The U.S., the FTC, has also mentioned that they are looking into them. And I was really surprised by what, uh, specifically, the EU said that they were looking. You know, they were looking over their, uh, uh, probably would be the, the private label, uh, you know, them as a seller on the marketplace, uh, what that means for competition. And then secondly, they said this, they're going to look into the buy box rotation and ask if it's actually, you know, if it's fair. And I didn't even think that was possible. And um, it's a big deal. They're the elephant in the room. Referring back to some of my $10,000 mistakes, some of those mistakes are because I have gone head to head with Amazon and it just doesn't end well. They do not have to make money. They will lose a million dollars before they lose uh, a price war. And um, I mean, I'll bow out of a price war after $200. I'm, I'm, I'm a chicken with that. Um, let's see. So, um, you know, this has really got me thinking a lot and, I've actually started to work on, you know, what we as sellers can do to make sure our voice is heard, uh, whether that's the European Commission or with the FTC. I just think that we should be listened to. So I'm not only spending a few minutes a day on this, but last week I, I actually talked with someone at the FTC and uh, he told me, he's like, I can't comment on what we're doing right now, but he was willing to listen to what complaints that I had to make. And I was kind of surprised. Like I was like, Oh, it's this easy. And so I told him, uh, you know, just these two things, uh, some of the potentially anti-competitive things that they do. And, um, but I just thought like, I'm just one person 
and that there are, you know, thousands of sellers that are actually particularly passionate about this subject, you know, knowing that they're on a fair marketplace and that, you know, Amazon just can't come sideswipe their business like they have been known to do. So what have I done? I've uh, started a website, playfairamazon.org. I am currently still designing it. So if you go there and you start clicking buttons, it's going to take you nowhere. But I just wanted to throw it out there and uh, see what attention. And right off the bat, I probably had uh, a dozen people on Instagram uh, reach out to me and start talking to me about it. So clearly, like, uh, it hit a nerve with people. And I think there's a chance for us to really be heard. So hopefully you hear more about this from me in the future. Um, you, uh, I will probably be most active uh, on Instagram and I'm going to be doing, I'm going to try and get a lot of other people involved. Um, but you can see that right now there's three issues. I'm not sure if these are the three that I want, but I just want a chance for us to be heard. I, the, the guy that I talked with the FTC was actually very surprised and interested when I told him that there are 50,000 sellers that are doing more than a half a million a year on Amazon. And right there, that kind of like shows you the, the, the scope of this, how uh, big of an audience this could uh, this be, you know. Uh, so any change that they make is going to be affecting, and they have a chance to positively affect change in 50,000 real like businesses where like when I think of 500,000, that means that's kind of when things are flipping towards the, you know, you're doing this full time and you've maybe got some, you know, a business around this with like two, three, four helpers, depending on, you know, how you're structured. So that's, that's a really cool, uh, uh, perspective. And it's funny that this number actually comes from Amazon. They reported this last, uh, earlier this year, uh, talking about 2018, so the three issues that I brought up in the website on uh, playfairamazon.org are the buy box rotation. Is it actually fair? And um, let's see. And then the second issue is knocking off other successful brands. Amazon has a private label division and they are looking straight into their own platform for ideas and do those ideas give them an, do they have like an unfair advantage? Can, can they, you know, see what someone else is doing and then immediately, uh, you know, source it in China and do the exact design or just like change one small thing and then, you know, knock out a, a category segment leader. So, and do they have unfair advantages in terms of advertising? Are they paying for advertising on their own site? I don't know. And um, I don't know exactly what Amazon retail is up to. And, and it, it kind of makes, this is exactly like, you know, why the FTC would investigate them. And um, I hope that the FTC can kind of see through where Amazon is telling the truth and where Amazon is, is uh, swallowing their own lie. I personally think that Amazon is lying to themselves regarding the buy box rotation. They uh, will say that, you know, that they look into a lot of metrics such as the, uh, the, uh, the fulfillment speed and the quality of service. And I'm like, well, we're FBA. We're doing the same thing you are. The same people are shipping our products as yours. The same people are answering the customer service uh, inquiries 
And so I just don't buy into that lie. I think, you know, they made a decision somewhere, somehow inside that gave themselves this advantage. And down the line, they've, um, you know, they've told their lawyers and they've told the lower end people that like, Hey, this is a fair, you know, this buy box rotation, like we, there's nothing funny business about this. Um, I actually, uh, through a friend of a friend, uh, was talking to, well, I heard, uh, one of Amazon's lobbyists, one of their lawyers who thought that Amazon was, uh, fair in this way. I, I just know that he was, uh, uh, you know, fed, you know, this idea. Um, and the third idea is, that we could tackle is seller performance in that it's uneven and sometimes it's not even well communicated in terms of suspensions, uh, a shipping suspension or uh, a, a takedown of a product. I don't know the right answers here, but it does feel like sometimes getting back up is arbitrary. It's a little bit of whack-a-mole. Um, and it's clear that uh, Amazon has a lot of effort here, but like they're just not doing enough. They're not investing enough. This is the most valuable company in the world. You can't tell me that they can't uh, get better here and they can uh, do a better job of policing the bad actors and letting the uh, good actors off a little bit with a more uh, predictable and a livable, uh, you know, suspension. Um, I mean, I could go on forever about this, but we just had a, a shipment suspension for seven days. It went from a, we got a one day suspension over 2d barcode labels. They didn't even tell us exactly what they just said that like something was wrong with your barcode labels. And they, we thought it was because it was not on the box and so we put all our attention on like, you know, making sure that every single sticker is on every box. But then, you know, a few weeks later, we got a seven day suspension. They escalated things that big, that fast. And then after communicating with them, they told us what was going on as there was something, there was a data point inside uh, the label that we were printing off that wasn't quite right. We didn't even know this. And there was zero way for us to get back up. doesn't matter that we solved the problem, you know, within, uh, you know, an hour or two once it was communicated. And it just didn't feel like, it felt like we, it's like they said, there's better ways to punish us. I mean, you don't even, you suspend us for an hour and you got my full attention. Well, I don't want to get too deep into that. I've already done that before. So, um, you know, I'm going to kick this off with a social strategy. I will find easy ways for you guys to get involved, uh, some uh, clear calls to action. I think we can get a tipping point here and we can get heard. I'm willing to be patient. I'm willing to play the long game. But I think now is a time that we can act. And, you know, regarding social strategy, there are some very influential uh, uh, seller accounts, you know, some Instagram accounts. And I, th I think we can... Uh, if we get them involved in this as well, you know, this will feel a little bit like a fire festival. You know, if we get everyone to post the same thing, I think we get a lot of people to uh, share their story, uh, particularly with the FTC. Um, but unlike fire festival, I don't think we're morally bankrupt. So, uh, um, but uh, on top of this, 
we're going to talk to some people that are close to the action. I know, like I said, that, that lawyer that's on Amazon side for a perspective. I know a seller that's been telling, um, that's been kind of a shill for Amazon telling them to Congress how great he enjoys, you know, working with Amazon, but he recently decided to flip because his products were knocked off by Amazon retail. I have uh, actually about two weeks ago, I talked to a New York Times reporter. This is regarding a different story altogether, but um, I'll reach out to her, see if uh, uh, she thinks this is interesting to pick up. And I think, um, I really think we can make a lot of noise. Uh, there's the merchant, the online merchant guild. And um, you guys probably know some other communities. There's at least 10 communities out there that are like sizable and I think if we uh, make a splash in each one, you know, we will be able to, to, to reach tipping point where like they know exactly how we feel. So I'm currently getting the site designed. I'm spending a few minutes on this a day and I think it's, I'm having, I'm, I'm enjoying this a lot and uh, hopefully I have more to talk about this in the future. And um, uh, my motives, I mean, I said, we're not morally bankrupt. Um, but the truth is, is like, I know the value of my business goes up if uh, the marketplace is evened out a little bit. So, uh, I mean, like I've got, I'm doing this because I enjoy it, but I also know that I stand to gain. I'll be very transparent. Um, and let's see. So, um, I mean, these calls to action will be to, you know, to comment to the FTC, I'm not sure if we want to do a donation. That's if we think we need a lobbyist, you know, someone that's like closer to the situation and um, maybe to contact a representative or to encourage others to, to share it. And I think this will be great. Okay, let's move on and I'll f um, finish this podcast with a, with a very different subject altogether, but like something that you could act on, especially perspective as you're going into Q4. Um, and I've got just like three uh, things, you know, pieces of advice I would tell someone. I would wish I was told this from the beginning um, regarding how to plan for Q4, when to go big, when to not. But just keep this in mind. Okay, number one, just because something happened one year doesn't mean it's going to happen again. Competition changes, advertising changes. So just because you sold a hundred units in let's say five days and then you ran out, doesn't mean you're going to be guaranteed to sell 500 units at the same clip that you sold those five units. I would take all things into consideration. And at the end of the day, you, I rather sell out of inventory than be stuck with way too much inventory. Um, if you have your own warehouse situation, you can probably err on the side of being a bit more aggressive because, you know, you can make a decision on December 1st or December 8th that you can't make um, if you don't have a, a warehouse or any way of, you know, feeding an inventory in a slower way. Um, let's see. I can go on about it. You know, I not a huge fan of seasonal products. Yes, you can make a killing, but um, you can also lose your shirt. I personally like evergreen products. It's just way easier to build a business around it. So if something has a huge uh, holiday boost, but it still sells during the off season, those ones are good. That's my favorite. 
is where like, you're like, okay, well, if we uh, are overstocked by, you know, 200 units, but it still sells, you know, 50 units a month, we're not completely dead out of water. Um, we, we, you know, we just have extra inventory. That's what we have to work with. But if a product is like super seasonal, like it's a Christmas ornament and you go overstock, like, well, you're stuck with that for another 10 months guaranteed. So, um, okay. Number two is in Q4 storage fees start getting real. Q4 storage has, they're about four times of what they usually are. And this has only been going on for about two or three years. And when they first did it, they offset it with reduced FBA fees, which were significant, but now there's no offset. And so it's just cost of doing business. So if you are new to, you know, some of the seasonal stuff, it's your first or second year, you should know that the storage fees, they are real in Q4 and they're there to make sure that you don't make a mistake. They want, they are there to motivate you to sell through your inventory. Um, but if you have, you know, seasonal oversize, you have even more to lose. It can take three successful products to make up for one failure. So the second is to think about your storage fees. Number three is start early. If you're doing your job well, you'll be doing this work now in August, setting up your suppliers or manufacturers to know what to expect. We have, uh, we set them up with inbound shipments of what we're going to be requesting in October, November, and December. And this is to reduce the risk and reduce storage fees. We do ask for, uh, I don't know exactly how we do it. I don't work with our ordering, but I've made sure that we, we ask for liberty to increase or decrease our orders. So like, it's not a guarantee that we're going to make that December purchase, but you know, we may increase our December purchase. We, uh, we try and, uh, be very, uh, you know, uh, nimble and, uh, to change what we might do. This is only with suppliers that uh, we have a relationship with and we work with. It's obviously, it's obviously a lot easier when, um, you know, you are closer to, uh, the flow, the control, the manufacturer, like how, uh, the inventory is getting made. Is there a backstock that you can eat into? Um, and you know, how valuable to the, the manufacturer or the brand are those Amazon sales? So this is just things to consider. Uh, you know, and, uh, we actually do a lot of Halloween, and with Halloween and a lot of holiday stuff is you really need to know your return rates. You don't actually get this info from any of the reports. There is a returned item uh, report, but I, I think you can only build the true return percent or refund percent from the settlements report. Um, this is on the uh, payments section uh, of Seller Central. And there's like a monthly report and I've used that to build the true uh, refund percent. And um, the reason the returned item one doesn't work is that only is accounting for products that are getting returned. There are many situations where customers just don't return it or Amazon tells them they don't have to return it. And so you, to get the true refund percent, you do need to go to the payments report. And uh, we found our costumes were just, uh, you know, they were very costly 
in terms of returns because it's apparel a lot of the time. That means we have to, sometimes we even have to pay for the return shipping. And in some of these costume companies were, you know, the return rates were into the 15, even up to 20% a return rate. And it actually makes sense because, you know, if I was a college student and going to a party and buying this, I would totally do it. If I buy a $50 costume that I'm only going to use once and I have a chance to return it, Amazon has kind of encouraged this by how good their returns are. And this is even true when sometimes you're paying for the, uh, sometimes the, the seller is actually paying the return FBA fee depending on what box that they check. They say it's a damaged product or it doesn't meet the description. You are paying for its return. And uh, that could be category a specific. Um, two real quick before I finish. Uh, you know, we have uh, two stories with uh, Q4. Uh, we had some Elf on the Shelf. We had about 15,000 units of Elf on the Shelf. And it looked like they were not going to sell. You know, Amazon had the buy box and we couldn't, you know, this was a map priced product, couldn't beat it. And we made the decision to break map and pretty much end that relationship. It was great. We got our money back. We even made a little bit of money, but we uh, never were able to sell them again. And that just, I kind of hit the principle, like just because something happened one year doesn't mean it's going to happen exactly the same way the next year. People notice trends and people will buy according to that. So you're not the only one that's looking at these product pages. And then uh, some oversized products that didn't turn out very well. We had some dolls just because they were selling well in 2017. I knew I saw what we were buying in 2018 and I was scared. I knew that like it was going to be tough to sell through all this inventory because these dolls were just Christmas items. People are not buying them year round. And so we had to put a lot of effort into uh, getting on top of this. Um, that's it for today's episode. Covered a lot, talked a lot longer than I intended to. I prefer to keep these podcasts very short and to the point so that you guys can act and uh, turn your business into a uh, better spot. So hopefully uh, you, you got a few nuggets and, uh, and I look forward to talking to you guys and see you in the future. So make sure you share this episode with uh, other sellers and if you have a, a chance to follow me on Instagram and uh, talk with me, you know, share some uh, uh, episode ideas that you got. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. It gives me some uh, ideas. I've already had, uh, yeah, dozens of people that have reached out and, uh, you know, said some awesome things and just some good conversations. So that's it. Okay. Thank you. Take care. One, two, three. This episode has been produced by LaunchPod Media.